Hello! Today we're continuing our series on becoming family. We've been exploring how we can become a more loving church family, accepting, authentic, encouraging and empathetic. Our aim as God's people is to build a kingdom community where everyone can belong and thrive, to be an expression of heaven on earth, if you like. However, since the raw material for this loving community is us, and we're not always perfect little sunbeams, we're going to be looking this week at Harmony Through Forgiveness. It's uh, not long before in any relationship that we need to address this topic, and it, it relates to all of us in various ways, in our family, in our church, in all our relationships. Because the sad fact is that like broken glass, us broken people hurt each other. The Bible has an amazing message of good news about forgiveness though and uh, it shows us that forgiveness is the way to unblock the dam so that God's love can flow in us and through us to other people and I've so enjoyed preparing this message and that goes to show how much easier it is to enjoy the theory of something rather than to actually put it into practice because we all know that actually forgiving can be so hard. But I'm hoping that by the end of this message, we'll un all understand a little bit more about what God is actually telling us to do when we're commanded in the Bible to forgive as the Lord forgave us. And we're going to understand how we can do that. Okay, so get your Bibles out. It'll also appear as if by magic on the screen. And I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. As I read, notice how it's talking about relationships. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in order to obey the commands here to have sincere love and to live in harmony with each other, we will need to forgive each other. So let's home in on verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Now, most of us would be familiar with that concept because it echoes that very famous command of Jesus to love our enemies. And at first it does sound pretty attractive, doesn't it? We think, oh yeah, good society that would be. But then we ground it in our own experience and it doesn't sound quite so attractive. I mean, when someone hurts us, it's almost a reflex action to want them hurt, hurt them back. From infancy, if, uh, if you do something to me, I'll do something nasty to you. Like, um, you put a hairbrush in my bed, I'll put a frog in your shoe. Or, uh, you owe me, you pay with interest. Or, um, you bomb my city, I torpedo your entire navy. And revenge seems instinctive and we want to escalate it all the time. We want to go one better or one worse. But forgiving people rather than getting even seems illogical to us, blatantly unfair actually, and frankly otherworldly. How could forgiveness be the answer? Well, hold that question. First, a little light relief because I'd like to take you on a trip to the movies. Now, the movies really resonate with us, don't they? There we see action and justice and good triumphing over evil. Admittedly, there's a lot of rubbish there too, but what we like to see are the cops catch the robbers. The superhero zap the evil genius who disappears in a puff of smoke. Or, or, Bond uh, blow up Spectre's HQ and then shoot Blofeld from the sky. Yes, that's what we like to see. Good, triumphing over evil. That baddies get what they deserve. The good guys live on and the bad guys are no more. And it's all very satisfying. And then we come out of the cinema and we blink. And uh, we think, well, that's strange. Why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil and the, in the world like that? I mean, he's almighty, right? Well, you probably have an inkling to the answer to this if you think about it, because most of us realise that the fault line between good and evil runs right through every one of us human beings. To get rid of the evil and suffering in the world, God would have to get rid of all of us. And as strange as it may seem, apparently he loves us, all of us. So back to our question, how could forgiveness be the answer? Well, God's solution to dealing with evil and suffering in the world is a lot more merciful than just going around zapping everybody. God saw that even though we were barely recognisable underneath all the crud of injustice and violence, that we were still his human beings, his children. After all, we'd been his idea in the first place, made in his image, to be loved and to love and to care for creation so that everything around us could thrive. But we'd gone rogue and got into big trouble. But like any good father, what God did, did was he stepped in to rescue us. And so it was that Jesus came and sacrificed his life on the cross for us. He took the punishment. The Bible explains God made him who had no sin to be made sin for us. Jesus' death 
his resurrection and his call to follow him give us a new birth. He wiped the slate clean and gave us another chance. And this is the heart of forgiveness. Jesus fully identified with us as human beings, suffering like we suffer, but then he went on to suffer like no human has ever suffered. And he took all the evil, all the suffering, all the injustice, all the sickness, all the evil consequences of sin on himself. He surrendered his right to get even. He took the pain. His dying words were, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus became the prayer for our forgiveness. His death on the cross declared, the pain stops with me. And so when we come to our senses as God's wayward children and we ask for forgiveness, we find he has already given it freely and he welcomes us home. We become a new creation. We are given a new heart and we see God dealing with the evil inside of us, changing us so that we can begin to deal with the evil around us and change the world around us in his name. But, and this is very important according to the Bible, we need to grasp that by accepting the offer of Jesus's grace to us, he tells us that we are expected to extend it to our fellow human beings. It's not an optional extra. Jesus clearly tells us, as recorded in Matthew 6, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. No wheedle room there. We have to confront this reality. It's not that we lose our salvation once we've sincerely come to God in repentance, but since our day-to-day -day relationship with God depends on the free gift of grace, if we deny others that same grace, we step out of that close relationship and, that, and all the benefits that that brings. Apparently, we cannot be right with God if we are wrong with other people. So what is, it, what is it exactly, this forgiveness thing, if it's so important? Well, first, it's really helpful to establish two things that it's not, but that we often confuse it with. First of all, forgiving is not forgetting. Sometimes we do try to stuff the memory of hurt away, but the trouble is it festers. Our thoughts can go something like this. Um, I shouldn't feel like this. I am actually bigger than this and I'm not going to let this get to me. But we can't pretend we aren't hurting when we are. Even if we stuff it deep enough, like trapped wind, it begins to escape in unpleasant ways or we just explode one day. When someone hurt us to the extent that we can't just forget about it, what's needed is forgiveness. After forgiving, sometimes we can forget. Secondly, forgiving is not the same as reconciling. Forgiveness opens the way for reconciliation, but it doesn't guarantee it. It's a mistake to think that forgiving someone is the same thing as having to reunite with them, no matter what. That a wife must go back to an abusive husband, 
or a businessman must take back a dishonest partner. When you think about it, that's not overcoming evil with good. That's actually um, empowering evil by not taking a stand against it, calling it out and, and drawing a very clear line between you and it. Whilst forgiveness takes place within the heart of one human being, reconciliation requires good faith on the part of two parties. Forgiveness is given, trust is earned, and trust can only be re-established by change behaviour. As our reading today says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are responsible before God for forgiving, not for making everything right in the relationship, if it's beyond our control. So we've seen what forgiveness is not, now let's see what it is. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So firstly, forgiveness means giving up our right to revenge. Now this is summed up beautifully by a man called Lewis Smedes, who is widely recognised as an authority in the subject of forgiveness. Now he said, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Conversely, if you are wanting someone to suffer, you haven't forgiven them yet. Secondly, forgiveness is an act of faith that trusts God to take care of you and to deal with the person who hurts you. Judging is God's prerogative. Only he has the wisdom and mercy to do it properly. We, as our world testifies, make a mess of it. So as we forgive someone, we declare by faith that we trust God will judge justly and we are not going to take the matter into our own hands anymore. With this in mind, did you notice that weird bit in the passage starting at verse 20? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Ever wondered what it means? It doesn't sound very Jesus-like, does it? I mean, every time I read that, I want to add a sort of a wah-ha-ha-ha-ha at the end. <laughs> Revenge. But actually, it doesn't mean that. People much more theologically qualified have two interpretations, two different interpretations that you can choose between here because they disagree. They're not sure themselves. Um, so it's uh, the first one is that as you relinquish your role as their judge and avenger, instead showing them unconditional love by showing mercy to them in their time of need, you step to one side and make room for God's judgment on that person. So they will get what they deserve according to God's justice, not yours. So you can be sure that the right justice will ultimately get done in the right way. The other interpretation held by other Bible scholars is that um, hot coals were a symbol of repentance rather than um, uh, rather like you know, in the Old Testament, they used to put ash on their head. Well, I guess it's a step further than that. It's the idea of hot coals on your head being a symbol of repentance. So the idea is that if you are kind to them, even though they don't deserve that, that will make them ashamed of what they've done to you. And that will bring them 
to repentance. Um, and of course, that links in with what we hear elsewhere in the Bible, that when uh, we're told that God's kindness leads to repentance. But whichever interpretation you choose for that, for that part of the message, our part is in this is clear. We are to carry on showing unconditional love to them, viewing them as a human being in need of mercy, not as a dehumanised enemy. And in so doing, we are not overcome with evil, but we're overcoming evil with good. Forgiveness turns the victim into the victor. Well, it's simple, isn't it? Just, just don't seek revenge. Simple, but not easy. But it's worth it and the results can be awesome. And before we go on to the reasons why it's not easy, we get into heavy stuff again, I'd like to... Um, inspire you with a story. This is a true story of a black South African lady whose son and husband were tortured and killed in front of her by white security police officers. Years later in court, after the confession of one of the men responsible, a Mr Van der Broek, the widow is asked by a member of the South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Committee Commission, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman. I want to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr Van der Broek to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, I want a third thing. And so I would kindly ask someone to lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr Vanderbrook in my arms and embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants come to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he's just heard, faints. As he does, those in the courtroom, family, friends, neighbours, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing softly, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound great story isn't it breathtaking and forgiveness on an epic scale like this is awesome and so inspiring but um, this morning we're going to take it a step closer so that stories of forgiveness don't just get our applause it's not just brain candy that makes us feel good it's so that it actually gets our obedience so uh, we're going to focus on ourselves now. <laughs> so if you are now sitting uncomfortably, I will begin. Because the truth is most of us need to forgive someone. Or ourselves. Or we will do soon. Either that or we'll need to ask for forgiveness. Or probably both. Because it takes two to tango and we often step on each other's toes while we're tangoing. Is there someone that you need to forgive? 
Is there someone who, at the very mention of their name, causes a gut-churning reaction inside of you? Is there someone who's hurt you? Our natural reaction to being hurt is either to lash out or to withdraw. And in my experience, and Derek touched on this last week too, that us lovely, kind, nice Christian folk, what do we do? We withdraw. We don't like conflict, do we? So um, we hide like an injured animal. This, we think, keeps us safe from further hurt. The problem is, this unforgiveness kills our relationships and shrinks our hearts. We avoid the person. We may even decide to change churches. That way we don't have to deal with it anymore and they got what they deserved. Trouble is, wherever we go, there we are. We can't get away from the bitterness that we have allowed to start growing inside of us. We think we're punishing them, but the pain is still very much inside of us. And there's more to this. If we don't forgive, there's also the collateral damage to the whole church body. All relationships are either moving towards connection out of love or disconnection out of fear. Our love will not be sincere if we are all disconnecting out of fear. We'll just be a gathering of disconnected, miserable, joyless people. We will certainly not be the people that Jesus prayed that we would become, who are unified in love and showing the world what true love looks like. People with clenched fists cannot link hands. Trouble is, I know that if you're feeling hurt right now, Jesus' command to forgive the person who hurt you makes you recoil and shrivel up like you're a slug and I've just poured salt on you. That's exactly how it feels, isn't it? And I don't want to minimise your pain. We all have our own stories with this. It's excruciatingly painful to let go of apparent injustice. But as a church, it is Jesus who we've fallen in love with, isn't it? And um, it's Jesus who we've pledged our lives to, isn't it? Well, it's Jesus who's commanding us to do this. And no one suffered more pain than he did to forgive. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with his father to let there be another way, a less costly way, a less painful way, a way that didn't involve self-sacrifice. He sweated blood in the process as he wrestled with how much he did not want to do it. But there was no other way. The healing of our world requires forgiveness for us, but more than that, from us. Forgiving is painful. The only thing that is more painful, though, is not forgiving. So God commands us to forgive for our own good, because if we don't, it's us who suffer the most, not the one who wronged us. If we refuse to forgive, all our relationships suffer, as bitterness and self-protectionism cuts us off from intimacy with God and with other people, and ultimately makes us miserable. To resent literally means to feel again. 
So you're living in the pain over and over again of what that person did to you as you rehearse it in your mind, unless you let it go. Many sicknesses can be attributed to a bitter spirit. As someone wisely said, when you refuse to forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting the person who hurt you to die. So, okay, how can we forgive as God forgave us? How can we rise above those inner protestations of it's not fair, they need to suffer, they need to apologise for what they did, they need to know that they were just plain wrong. Well, how did Jesus do it? First, he prayed. He prayed to his father for help. As I mentioned earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled and agonised in prayer. And often that's what it takes. Let's get on our knees and pray that we'll want to forgive, that God would give us the heart and the grace and the courage to forgive. Secondly, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. So we are not to wait until the person who hurt us asks for or deserves forgiveness before we give it. Thirdly, pray for the person. Remember Jesus's words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. As counterintuitive as it seems, praying God's blessings over them breaks something spiritual. What do you want to happen in your own life? Pray, pray that for them. Think about everything good you'd like to happen to you. Pray over them. Come against bitterness with the opposite spirit. And start saying good things behind their backs. Now, I'm not an authority in all of this, but I know that this works. If you stop moaning and whinging about people, instead pray blessing over them and start looking for the good and vocalising the good that you see in that person, then it changes. It Something breaks and you're able to see them for a human being again, not, not for the person who hurt you and has to suffer. And you're able to love them again. Fourthly, Jesus looked beyond what was wrong in them to restore their true humanity. So you see, when we get hurt by people, we label them, don't we? But we're to refuse to see them as betrayer, slanderer, hypocrite, thief, whatever they've done to hurt us. And we've labelled them. Instead, we choose to view them as a human being in need of mercy, just like we are. Fifthly, Jesus ultimately entrusted himself to the justice of his father God and the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as his children, we can too. Finally, Jesus chose to absorb the pain, so it stopped with him. No retaliation, no escalation. He overcame evil with good by taking the pain without seeking revenge. In doing all this for us, at enormous cost to himself, Jesus freely granted forgiveness to us. His hand of peace was extended. Reconciliation was now available should anyone want to step forward and take his hand. When you forgive, you make room for God's kingdom too. Now, instead of withdrawing, you can extend a hand of love. You can begin again 
allow trust to be rebuilt. Now, as we end today, let's remember something that underpins all of this, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Satan uses a fence like grenades to try to blow us apart. For as much as Jesus wants unity in the church so people can look at us and see what God's love is like, Satan wants disunity so people will look at us and think, oh gosh, they're grumpy and bitter, I wouldn't want to be like them. Satan drives a wedge between us wherever he can. But remember, we are blood brothers, blood sisters, by Jesus' blood. We're all broken and we've all got sharp edges and we're all being mended at different rates. So we need to walk in mercy towards each other. Let's forgive as the Lord forgave us. Let's not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We have the invincible weapon of forgiveness. It's far better than the movies. It's a higher reality. Ultimately, good does triumph over evil because Jesus makes everything okay in the end. And when we maintain a heart of forgiveness, allowing his love to flow through us, we can partner with him for true justice and we can partner with him to see his kingdom come and everything made right in the end. You see, forgiveness is otherworldly because it's kingdom. So let's follow the way of Jesus and choose the way of forgiveness. Let's pray together now. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you didn't just give up on us, but that you paid the ultimate price to forgive us. Please enable us to be honest with, it, with ourselves and with you and admit where we have allowed resentment and bitterness to grow in our hearts. Please enable us to forgive others just as you have forgiven us. At this point, you may wish to hold someone up to the Lord who's hurt you, who you want to forgive, or you know you need to forgive. Father, help us to want to forgive. Help us to choose to forgive. Thank you that you give us the supernatural ability to do that and to move towards people, not away from them, to rebuild love and trust. Please give us soft, merciful hearts towards one another at Ebby so we can become a connected, loving family and so we can truly show your love to the world. Amen. Okay, I know this is a journey, <laughs> but I'd invite you to carry on on the journey. It starts on your knees before God in prayer. Um, so keep going. It's worth it. Forgiveness is awesome and the Holy Spirit makes it possible. So let's be a forgiving people.